0: I'd made a decision I was leaving him. Mm -hmm. He went out, he came home, got in bed, tried to have sex with me. I refused him. So then he got on top of me, punched me, strangled me. I passed out. When I woke up, there was lots of blood. He wasn't there. He'd left. um, Didn't know what to do. So I phoned the police. Mm -hmm. I just phoned the police. Mm. I said, this is what's happened. I didn't know what I wanted to say. All I knew was that I was at a point where... If he comes back, um, I might not be alive.
1: Rebecca Fox, absolutely delighted to have you on the show, the Purpose Dead Leadership Podcast. We became friends on TikTok and Instagram, I think it was. Yeah. So for those that don't know you, tell us what you do now.
0: So I'm a psychotherapist and I specialise in healing from trauma after being in toxic, abusive relationships.
1: Very interesting. How long have you been doing that?
0: Mm, I specialised in it for about three years now.
1: Okay. And how did did you lean or lead into that then? It
0: It was something that kept cropping up initially. People that I spoke to, it seemed to become a bit of a theme. And from my background, my childhood, I kind of learned more about narcissism, about personality disorders, and that's kind of where I took, took my education, shall we say?
2: Yeah,
0: and then realized, actually, this is a really big deal, and mm. it's causing a lot of problems in people's relationships and lives. And that's why I decided to go down that road in particular.
1: Yeah, I mean, the word narcissism is is I think it's banded around quite a lot, but from personal experience. I've certainly lived with a couple and been in relationships with a couple. And I think sometimes you have to experience it to know what it is, right? So from your perspective, um, talk to me about and the audience about your journey with narcissism, as in being on the wrong end of it yourself.
0: Yeah. And just touching on like something that you said there, certainly from this kind of generation, There was always that thing of, and certainly what my clients come out with, they had no idea they were with someone that was narcissistic, that was treating them badly. They didn't see it as abuse because all these labels of, oh, he's just under the thumb, she wears the trousers. Mm. So it was like all of a sudden that was acceptable. That was a normal relationship. And it's only now that narcissism is being talked about, people are understanding more about it, that these guys are kind of going, actually... That's exactly what I was in. It's mm. not just a matter of she wore the trousers. Mm. There was much more going on than that. Yeah. And my experience initially was from my mother. So my mother had a very I say toxic childhood. It's a very unloved childhood. It was a very challenging childhood. Yeah. And that that was kind of the first stage for me and, and growing up I, you know, that was all normal. As a child you know no different, right? Mm. Then the first relationship I ever got into was very abusive, physically abusive. And it got to the point where I woke up in hospital, I'd been beaten, I'd been strangled. It's very lucky to be alive, I think. And it was like, okay, I'm talking to these people around me, strangers, Mm -hmm. that are saying to me, this isn't right. (sighs) This is not what you should be going through. But
2: Mm.
0: from what I'd experienced, that was normal.
1: The narcissist I think is very astute at making you feel like you are the perpetrator or you're the wrongdoer even though it's plain to see that it's the other way around but it for me it was almost like a bit of Stockholm syndrome as well and kind of like almost it was easier to put up and shut up as opposed to kind of defend myself or fight back what do you what do you think
0: Yeah, and a lot of people feel that way, but the reality of being in a relationship or in that kind of narcissistic dynamic is you've been conditioned to be Mm. that way. So something that a narcissist does Mm. is they use lots of gaslighting, Mm. they use lots of manipulation, they use lots of brainwashing. So. You know, the core component of gaslighting is to distort your reality and give you a new one. Yes, yes. So often the new reality that they give you is one where you're not enough. You're not worth anything. You shouldn't have any confidence. You're not allowed to speak up. Mm. All these things, you know, you're there to serve. That becomes your identity. So that's the biggest problem with those kinds of relationships is people lose touch with reality. They lose touch with who they are.
1: What's your thoughts on the people that say that, yeah, that's all one and good, but you still attract that and you still got an element of accountability yourself because you got into that relationship in the first place, all that kind of stuff?
0: It's a, if you're talking about from my, my actual experience, you mm-hmm. know, I was a child. I was 16 when I met my first boyfriend. I'd mm-hmm. gone from a toxic upbringing to an abusive upbringing into another one. So I didn't know any different... I think it it becomes becomes very different when you're someone that's had healthy relationships and then you're thrown into that kind of toxic dynamic it's a little bit different right. and often when it's gone that way people that have been in healthy relationships and find themselves in a narcissistic dynamic it's often because the healthy relationship itself wasn't fulfilling enough
2: hmm.
0: so this narcissist comes into their life with that love bombing, this grandiose, this okay. ideal phase.
2: Yeah.
0: And people that have come from a healthy background, they're blown away by this because it, it's totally new. Mm. And it's certainly from, you know, a, a narcissistic male's point of view, it's very idealized, mm. you know, they come along and they promise you the world and yeah. that kind of thing. Whereas with women, it's a little bit different. They're very seductive, female narcissists. So there's a big difference. So if mm. you've got a guy, this is what happens with a lot of my male clients, yeah. they've been in a relationship where they've often been starved of sex or they've been starved mm. of intimacy.
2: Mm.
0: They meet a narcissistic woman yeah. and guess where the focus is?
2: Yeah,
0: Something they've been missing. And it's like all of them, every client I've had, has said to me, Mm. Rebecca, the sex was incredible. I don't think I'm ever going to get that again. Mm. But it's not necessarily real. Yeah, Yeah, Of course, it happened. The act happened. But that doesn't mean it's a bond. It doesn't mean it's a connection.
1: So I've never really understood the thought processes of of a narcissist. What I mean by that is that I think I'm quite an empathetic person, quite a compassionate person. And you know, we've all got things wrong with us in certain ways. We've all got mental health and all that kind of stuff. But do you feel that a narcissist, is it a deliberate thing or is it a disease, would you say?
0: I mean, that's a great question. So narcissism is developed in childhood indefinitely. There's links to it being hereditary. Mm-hmm. but. The core component of narcissism is it's a protection for someone who has extremely low self-esteem. Yeah. that is the undercurrent of narcissism. It's someone that is extremely fragile and is ex- it has very low self-worth and self-esteem. So what mm. they do, mm. for instance, let's say a narcissistic child or that's raised that way and develops it because it, it develops. Yeah, they will develop a shield. So narcissism itself is a shield to protect that broken person inside. So it's like Mm. if you break your leg, the leg is broken, you need to put a cast on it to protect it. And that's exactly what a narcissist does. But it becomes a problem Mm. when the narcissist defines reality as that person who is the shield. And that person needs to be better than everyone else. That person needs to be Grandiose. That yeah. person demands respect. Hmm. So all of these tactics that they learn are to make themselves feel better.
1: But it is like a, you mentioned the word reality. It does. It my experience is they are in a different reality. It's that different to what my reality is. It's, it's almost like you can't almost reason or fathom with them. My experiences are that the moment you challenge them, or the moment you even try to comprehend or put a point of view across, you might as well not bother.
0: Yeah, because what are you doing? You're going to expose them for who they are. They've mm. then got to relate and they've got to live up to the fact of what it is they have or haven't done to you. Like, mm. how many times have you had a conversation with your narcissistic partner and they've mm. gone, "That didn't happen. You don't yes. know what's going on yeah, there."
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you think there's a like you know there's there's a sort of the scales with things? Do you think that generally everyone's got an like, element of narcissism about them?
0: Oh, absolutely, a- absolutely. We we all have and. Elements of that, yeah, but it becomes an issue when you're no longer able to regulate emotions, which a, tr- a true narcissist, yeah, has no empathy. No. They have no ability to no. emphasize. They don't feel emotions in the same way you and I would.
1: I found that they all they all they have emotions for like unusual things as opposed to human beings. You know, they, they might they might show emotion on something that is quite obtuse, but if a human being is suffering, sometimes they they wouldn't do that, and I think. I, I, I find it fascinating. And so, in terms of the the work that you do, because I've you know I've spoken to you about this, um, have you, along with your own lived experience, have you studied this quite intensively as well?
0: Yeah, very much so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, what what's been the most valuable element of it—the study or the actual lived experience?
0: I think both go hand in hand. Mm. Someone that's just studied it and hasn't experienced it cannot understand how it makes someone feel. If you live it, but you don't study it, you haven't got the logic behind it. So you have all this emotion inside you of how they, that person's made you feel, mm. how you feel, because they do, they they break your reality. They, yeah. they pull you away as a person. Mm. So they strip you of that. And that then leaves you feeling empty, like who yeah. am I? What's my purpose? Where is life? What's the point? But they need the logic Logic helps a lot of people, mm. but it won't cure everything mm. because you've, if you've got the emotional damage there, which you will have, that it also needs to be addressed.
1: You talked about being strangled and other elements. I'd like you to, mm. if, if you're comfortable, to delve a bit deeper with with that in terms of the memory, the feeling, and the, how did you get out of that situation? And just just go into a bit more depth around how that changed you as an individual.
0: So that experience itself, it was. I don't don't know that that changed me initially. It took me a long while to do, and I mean years, to deal with the childhood issues, to deal with that relationship. Mm. But the reason, you know, that relationship to me was was vital because my beliefs growing up was that you meet someone, you get married, you have kids and you're a housewife and that's going to be your life. So that is what I desperately wanted. I felt so unloved as a child. So when I have this guy showing me love, I wanted yeah. to hold on to that at all costs. Sure. I'd seen my mother was very aggressive. So him being aggressive to me was nothing. That was normal. Right. Again, like it was like, this is normal. Yeah. I've spoke back at him. Oh, okay, I'm going to get slapped. Okay, this is normal. Wow. It, it never dawned on me that this is not a normal life. Mm. Um. And yeah, that that particular night was me. I told him I was leaving him. I'd made a decision I was leaving him. Mm-hmm. He went out. He came home, got in bed, tried to have sex with me. I refused him. So then he got on top of me, punched me, strangled me. I passed out. When I woke up, there was lots of blood. I was very, conf- didn't know, what- he wasn't there. He had left. Yeah. Um, didn't know what to do. So I phoned the police. Mm -hmm. I just phoned the police. Mm. I said, this is what's happened. I didn't really know. I didn't know what I wanted to say. I didn't know how I wanted to. All I knew was that I was at a point where if he comes back, um, I might not be alive. Yeah. That's all I knew. So I phoned the police. They came out. They were very good. Took me to hospital. Had a lot of treatment, and it wasn't until then when I actually because you know yeah. didn't have any support from my family.
1: Did you press charges?
0: Yes. Yeah, I okay. did three years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Was that? A, um, did you have to pluck up courage in a sense to do that? Because obviously you hear the stories where the other person doesn't press charges for fear out of fear.
0: No, because for me at that point, I I genuinely felt like I had nothing. You know, I had no mm. home. Work was <laughs> really had no work. You know,
2: yeah, I, it
0: was like there was nothing. There was, right. I had to trust in strangers,
2: mm. and
0: like that for me was was hard because all I'd ever known was chaos. Mm. So when I've got strangers saying this is what you need to do, these yeah. are the next steps, this is how it works, I had to trust that was going to happen, and it did. Yeah, you know, I didn't see him at court because I was in a, a room with a screen. So
1: mm. it must have affected your self esteem.
0: So up and yeah, like so up until that point, even before I met him, I couldn't look people in the face. I didn't like to speak up. I would either talk too much or not enough. Mm. But that was all because of how my mother had, again, affected my reality. You know, if I put on weight, I was too fat. If I lost weight, I was too skinny. Whatever, if I wore such a. This is crazy. If I wore Adidas jogging bottoms, mm-hmm. I was a tomboy. Wow. If I wore, you know, it was like, there was constant. I could never, if mm. I was happy, that was wrong. If I was sad, that was wrong. If I didn't speak, it, it was just constant.
1: This is going to sound quite controversial. I'm not downplaying or dismissing what just happened to you, what you just described, because it's, it's fucking horrific. But it feels as if how you were parented probably had an even bigger impact and effect on you than what the narcissist did to you. Is that that unfair?
0: It's on par.
1: Right.
0: It's on par because that part of my life was the same. Mm. That there's no, there is no difference Mm -hmm. between the relationship I had with him and my mother other than I was having sex with him. I wasn't having sex with my mother. Right. It was on par.
1: Okay. In terms of the feeling and how, just just the the way you, the
0: mental, the emotional, the the physical abuse, yeah. the financial abuse, it was the same. What was it
1: with your mother then? Was it was was? Do you think that was a, a, a almost like a control ego thing that she didn't almost want you to be perceived as better than her or something like that? What's the rationale? Do you think if there is any?
0: <laughs> there would a hundred percent. So when, narcissistic parents are often very envious of their children. Yes. So there is a lot of jealousy there, right. but also. They're, they're only ever interested in you when you're doing well. Mm. So if you're winning at something, your narcissistic parent's going to be by your side. If you're not doing well, they don't want to know you because they see you as an extension of themselves. Mm. But if the child is getting more attention than them, that's a massive problem for them. Mm. Massive problem. Mm.
1: So how did you um, not become a sort of copy of your mother?
0: So... Something we do know about narcissists: they need to have a difficult temperament as a child.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I didn't have a difficult temperament as a child. So, we either are very yeah. agreeable. If we have quite an agreeable temperament, the chances of you becoming a narcissistic are highly unlikely. But if you have a yes. difficult temperament, yeah,
1: disagree with anything just for the sake of it, almost, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Th- you're going to learn ways and. Mm-hmm. That's again where I'm like, this is learnt behaviour because if you've mm. got a narcissistic mother and the child is has that difficult temperament, the yeah. narcissistic child learns from the mother that how to manipulate, how to gaslight to get what you want, yeah. how to lift yourself up above everyone else, sure. using everyone else. Yes, you know, it's not about just making yourself feel better. It's yeah. it's at the expense of other people, and that's the problem with narcissism. It's, it's all done at the expense of others.
1: Yeah, and it's the art of projecting everything onto the other person that they're doing themselves, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So what about your
1: father then? Was he around or?
0: Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was he was just as bad. But he was very much my mother's puppet. So I had I had right. no respect for him at all growing up. Mm. And um yeah, he was very much orchestrated by her.
1: Okay. Fascinating so far. I want to delve even more deeper into that element, but I, I, I asked my guests all this, this, the same question. Give us an overview of your journey um, from kind of school to now. It's okay.
0: My journey. So, okay. yeah. So from school. So I had that relationship mm-hmm. from there. Then I went into train horses for dressage. And part of that, because I was under a certain age, was I had to be in further education. So that's yeah. when I decided to do my, my psychology, get my degree there. But I never did anything with that. So that kind of just sat there because yeah. I, I had no confidence. Mm-hmm. I was a high-functioning stress addict for many years, many years.
1: What, well, you, you enjoyed, not enjoyed, but you, you went towards stress?
0: I functioned off of stress. Yeah. So I couldn't sit here now without shaking or feeling uneasy. Like If I wasn't in a stressed-induced environment, I didn't feel comfortable.
1: That's interesting you say that because I think the narcissist, if there was a bag of joy and happiness on the table, and a bag of um, distress and darkness, they'll choose the darkness. And I think you didn't you you're playing that out in stress. You know, you could have um, calmness and chill, but there's stress then because that's something you're, it's a feeling that you're used to. Would you say
0: exactly right? Yeah, for me that's familiarity. Mm. So. But also, it's like that I needed to prove myself.
1: Mm, like I right.
0: I constantly- All the time. Yeah. yeah. So, it was consistent. So yeah, right. That's, so, if I ever had a day off, I needed to do something to prove myself. I couldn't just sit and watch TV and relax. That was not an option. Mm. And I was like that for many, many, many years. Yeah. Many years. And I went through numerous therapists to try and get help. That was a con- consistent dead end, again, because- yeah. Therapists just don't know how to deal with you. I remember I had one that almost put the blame on me.
1: I I find yeah, some therapists they 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 kind of they kind of they don't really offer any any substance, right?
0: I mean, there's I think it's different now because I'm going back ten years ago. I think it's
1: changed a lot actually.
0: Yeah, and and I think back then it it was known as just talking therapy. So I was designed to just you know talk. Yeah. Which did nothing yes, um, but
1: how has it changed though because obviously I think I think all oh, good people have therapists, I've got my own therapist you, and you're a therapist yourself in your own right, but how has how that how did that actually um, how has it changed over the last ten years? do you think therapy in itself
0: I think people are, again, so I think you've got like people that choose to specialize in something's really important because mm. for instance, a grief counselor, you know I've hired lost two loved ones last year so I went to see a grief therapist I could have just gone on the internet and gone to see a therapist up the road but she would not specialise in getting over grief and dealing yeah. with the elements that come with grief.
2: Mm.
0: To get the best results, you've got to go with someone that specialises in that field. And I think yeah. now therapists have actually made a decision and gone, right, I'm going to specialise in something rather than have yeah. a broad overview,
1: Yeah,
0: have people churn in left, right and centre and just go through the motions. Sure, I don't think that happens anymore. But no. like, I'm very particular of who I work with. They've, they've got to have been in a relationship and they've got to be out of it.
1: Mm. I want to talk to you about those, um, bereavements as well, if I may, but so obviously the dressage that, that was, um, that sounds like a, an important part of your life.
0: Yeah, that was, that was big for me. Yeah, that was, that was something that's actually where I kind of learned what my gift was Mm. and it was, you know, something I do very well is teach, Mm -hmm. whether it's horses, humans, (laughs) animals. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a very good teacher Right. shall we say. And so that was something that I'd learned then, and that kind of came into it. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm good at. This is where my gift is. How old were you then? 17,
1: 18. Oh, wow. So you're still, okay, you're still in your, in your yeah, so teenage I, years.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I did that until, until I was 28. I did that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I that was then the point for me. That was kind of a pivot point in my life where, I'd left my long-term partner. Yeah, I'd given up the business. I'd, I'd literally given up everything and was like, okay, new life ahead. Um, and that was scary because as much as I dealt with most of my demons, mm. they definitely weren't all fully gone. And mm. it was just on the off chance, one of my friends in the gym said to me one day, no, Rebecca, I don't know why you don't go into teaching yoga, because you're really good at it and you're a really good instructor, you know? Yeah. And I thought, yeah, why don't I? You know, I've done yoga for years. What let's change direction, let's go into yeah. the wellness industry. Yeah. So yeah, I got my qualification there. And that was when I'd met some incredible people and I did some sort of shadow work on mm-hmm. myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was when the penny dropped. If I'm being honest, like that was the time when it was like, okay, I've got the logic. Now I've done the emotions. Yeah. Now it's all come together.
1: Wow. You kind of found your calling and your purpose almost by the sounds of it in a yeah, way.
0: Yeah. It all kind of fitted together. Mm. And I would say from 30, the age of 30, I've kind of always been very much self-aware, very, very balanced and very happy actually. Mm. Like, gen- I can genuinely say that.
1: Mm. I find it very interesting that some of my friends, uh, and ex-friends, and colleagues, and ex-colleagues that they 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 were brought up in a very very structured home environment. They went to the best private schools, and with the greatest respect to them, they've turned out pretty badly emotionally, pretty badly psychologically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then uh, I look at my own upbringing. It was it was similar to yours in terms. It was it wasn't particularly great i'm not saying i'm perfect but i th- i think sometimes almost the adversity can actually you talk about gifts it can actually become a gift if you if you channel it in the right way what's your thoughts on that
0: yeah i i totally agree with you so and again i've worked with many in this situation and and people have this misconception like i loved it that you brought that up because mm. people think These parents that are very wealthy, that have a very privileged upbringing where, Mm. what do you need? Here's the money. Here's the nannies. I'm going away for six months to work. Absolutely. It's like on the, you know, the outsider looking in, they've got a great life. But that Mm. child has no emotional bond with its parents. That child is not getting the mental stimulation it needs from the parents. Yeah, yeah. So that is actually a very damaging kind of upbringing also.
1: Self-entitlement as well. They just expect it as well and it's, that's not reality is it
0: and again so if you want to know we look we touched upon you know personality types mm. but also it is that self-entitlement that's drilled in well guess what's part of narcissism mm. it's mm. one of the
1: core what well, 100% it's, I mean, it's self-entitlement beyond any sort of recognition in terms of yeah. like they feel as if they are literally superior to everybody else and the, the front and the bravado they have on one hand it's a complete paradox to actually their reality because i think inside their minds and their head and their heart and their body and their soul i think they're in turmoil right
0: yeah because when have they ever needed to work for validation Mm. those people that are in that kind of you know Mm. it was never this way for me but you know often when you have children it's you work hard, I'll, I'll help you buy a car, your first car. Yeah. You know, you work hard, I will help. So it's like you've always got something to work for and you, there's an achievement and there's that being proud and then more connection with your parents. Mm. You don't get that when you come from that privileged upbringing.
1: But, but the, the enormity of their defence or their reluctance to never say sorry, never take any accountability, never own up to anything. And I, I keep saying they. What I mean by that is as I've said before, myself and everyone in this world has got an element of this. I'm not saying I'm I'm um, I, I haven't got it because I think I have, but I think there's extremes. But I just, I, for me, it's, it's 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 almost beggars' belief that how can they not realise that what they've just done is obviously their doing, but they'll move heaven and earth not to not to admit any any fault whatsoever. And I just I still find that mind boggling.
0: And and again, it boils down to. Self-awareness, to be yeah. self-aware means you, you've got to judge how you feel. You've got to judge what you say. You've got to judge how you react. Mm. You've got to be aware of the other person in the room. Mm. You the, the awareness you need to, to build healthy connections yeah. is very high. Yeah. For them to do that, they've got to look at that damaged person. They've got to recognize what's, what, how they feel, first of all, which mm. their level of emotions are very different to you and I. They have rage and they have shame. And yeah. that's pretty much it right okay so that is pretty much it in terms of how they feel mm. when they're having that high of satisfaction it's a satisfaction it's not necessarily like they're happy or they're in love with what's going on it's a satisfaction mm. yeah that's expected that's good
1: right
0: do you see what I mean it's yeah. a very different time
1: yeah but the, the, the lack of empathy as well it's it's almost like it's almost like they could win the lottery and be okay with it and they could to an extreme stab someone in the eye and be okay with it
0: yeah so the the way I describe it with people so you know the best way I can describe this is narcissism is a cluster B personality disorder it runs through all four of those types okay. we've got MPD which is narcissistic personality disorder yep. we've got borderline personality disorder we've got histrionic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder right yeah. So the antisocial, I'm just going to touch on two of these, antisocial is basically your sociopath and your psychopath. Mm. That's what we're dealing with. Mm. Then we've got the cousins of that, which is your narcissist, your people that have MPD.
2: Yeah.
0: Now, the difference between the two is this. The narcissist will go into something and say, yeah, well, do you know, I hope no one gets hurt, but if they do, I'm good. Mm. People with the antisocial say, yeah, people are going to get hurt and so what? Right. And they mean it.
1: Really? They don't care? No.
0: Right. Whereas a narcissist cares because of the shame element. Yes. Well, I hope no one gets hurt, but yeah. because if someone gets hurt, they've got to own up to that. They've got to face that. Yeah, yeah. That's a problem for them.
1: Mm. Is there a cure for narcissism? <laughs>
0: No. Yes and no. I believe everyone has the power to change. Mm. I believe that. But for anyone to change, you need to be self-aware. You need to face up to your problems. Yeah. You know yourself. Trying to explain to a narcissist how they've made you feel, where they're going wrong. Even if you go into it with no emotions oh, and yeah, pure course. logic yeah, yeah. is still not going to work. They no. don't want to hear it. No. So for them to change... I'm going to put it out there. It's impossible because they don't want to accept the reality of what they're doing because that means they do need to address it and change. And that's a problem because for them, their life's pretty good.
1: So, I mean, I've seen your TikToks and they they are amazing. I mean, you've got so much great advice. I mean, I'm sure you've got some horrific stories of your clients. You've had your own horrific Mm. story. But generally, how how do you, or how does anyone kind of deal with a narcissist from a day-to-day basis? Any kind of steer or guidance that you could offer?
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it's a very hard one because I know certain cultures, it's very tricky to get out of relationships. Mm. You know, part of the reason I say to people I will only work with them if they're out of the relationship is you cannot heal no. while you're still in that dynamic. No. It's impossible. Yes. So the, the clear answer to that is get out. But mm. I know certain cultures, there are certain dynamics where that's very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And also, you've got to remember, and this is where where people and friends are very judgmental because they're like, well, if it's that bad, why don't you just get out? But they have no idea how that person has been stripped of, yes. of their reality yes. and, and their ability to think. The confusion is very real. Yes. Very real. Yes. So... What I say to people in that situation, if you can't get out, it's about managing the best you can. So removing emotions from it. Stop Mm. trying to reason with them with how, you know, do you know this has made me feel this way? Stop doing that because all they're doing is denying your reality even more. Remove emotions. Limit the communication. Mm -hmm. What I say to people is treat it like a business.
1: Mm. 100%.
0: Treating it like a business, less is, is
1: definitely more. Work.
0: Yes, yeah, is is your yeah, best chance. Yeah, yeah. But you know, be all and end all. Get out if you can.
1: Yeah. Okay. Again, we'll go back into it for a third time. But I wanna, I wanna touch on you. Sort of quite um, casually mentioned you lost two loved ones last year. Yeah. Now that doesn't sound like a casual thing.
0: <laughs> no, that was probably. That was one of the hardest times for me because the yeah. first person that I lost was my my nan, who mm-hmm. to me, she was almost like my mother because I spent a lot of time with her growing up um, and I loved her so dearly. Mm. I say that was easier to deal with for me in terms of she was old, she'd kind of had her time, she got cancer. And I think that that was the hard part to deal with, you know, seeing someone you love in pain seeing them become more frail. Yeah. That was the hardest thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. So she I think it wasn't long I would say 8 weeks after her diagnosis she passed. Mm. And and that was tough, but I had my best friend with me and I you know I've got a very good group of friends and my my best friend really was my rock. Yeah. And that was in the May last
2: so then, year.
0: Yeah. Right, and okay. then in it was like August, around August time, um, my best friend hadn't been feeling well. She kept having stomach problems. Mm. Um, She'd been to see doctors. It was like, here's painkillers, get on with it. Did scans, nothing showing. Yeah. And it got so bad. um, Her husband took her into London to do a full body scan, like the the work. She had the works done. Yeah. And unfortunately, it came back that she had... um, pancreatic cancer and it spread to a liver oh,
1: wow. and they
0: were like, you know, we're talking weeks if you're lucky. Wow. So I'd gone from, you know, losing my nan mm-hmm. who I was very, very close to, but I was not okay. Cause that's the wrong word, but I had so much support from my friend. I could get through that. Yeah. And then it was like three months later, my friend's going to die. Mm-hmm. And that for me was like, <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. So I've lost one person who I love dearly, now my big support system's going to die as well. And I think the hardest thing for me with that is when when she got the diagnosis, she had made a decision that she didn't want to see anyone, and I was also one of those people, which oh, wow. at the time was hard to deal with because I just wanted to see her. Yeah. Um, But I, I also understood she did that out of love because she didn't want my last memory of her Bless to be – You know, Mm. someone that had got so frail. You know, I spoke to her husband regularly um, and Mm. he said, you know, she really did go downhill. And I I know in her mind, like all my memories of her are good. All my visions of her are good. Yes. I have no vision of her as a tiny, shriveled up woman laying on a bed dying, you know. So I understand now, but at the time that was very difficult. So Mm. that was... Six weeks after a diagnosis, she died.
1: Wow, that was quick then.
0: Very, very quick, which Mm -hmm. I'm pleased about because she was in so much pain.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so that year absolutely rocked me Mm. because I just felt like all my support system gone gone in one hit. And for me, the shift then, I I went through, I was like, okay, we are all going to die. It was like the reality of death for me Mm -hmm. truly hit. It, it made me kind of go, if I want to do something, I'm not messing about and I'm doing it. Right. Whereas before I would be certainly more cautious. I'm not yeah. saying I've, I've become reckless, Yeah. but it, it 100% made me appreciate life and death.
1: So specifically then, what did you do differently in terms of going for it? Was it business stuff or life in general or...
0: Uh, No, it wasn't. Business, I've always been very focused and I've always been very driven there. yeah. It it was actually about about having holidays, about having vacations. It was about if I want something, buy it.
1: Put yourself first and just not worry about it kind of thing. Not in a selfish way, but actually just, you know, I'm I'm entitled. I can do this if I want. It's okay, you know?
0: Yeah. And I'd always sort of hold on to money. Like, you know, I can't spend money, whereas I was like, what do I want? <laughs> <laughs>
2: nice. Here's yeah, the money, yeah, yeah. you know,
0: spend the money. So I, like for me, it mm. was a matter of, if I want to go away, yeah. I'm going away. I'm right. not messing about anymore. I'm not, you know, trying to fit in with everyone else. Yeah. If I want it, I'm going to do it. So that was the big difference for me.
1: And it's still raw. Obviously it's been roughly a year. How have you coped with that huge loss in general?
0: So I, I did need to see a, a grief therapist and she mm. was amazing. Um, i Desperately needed to see her because I, I couldn't function. I really yeah. couldn't function. I struggled. I still worked, but I felt like I was vacant. I didn't mm. feel like I was being, you know, good enough for my clients. Yeah. So of course that hits your, your self esteem and your confidence. And I just thought, no, this this isn't good here. Yeah. You know, something needs to be sorted. So yeah, worked through that with her and. I'm okay with it now. Like, I think that's the best way I can describe it. I'm okay with it. That I had so much anger, like with my friend, you know, I was like, she's young. She's one of the nicest people ever meet. Yeah. Why did she have to get the most aggressive, painful cancer? Like that really.
1: Because there's grief cycles, me. isn't there? Or stages, right?
0: Yeah. We, we go through grief cycles. And again, you you will experience this if yeah. you're also coming out of a toxic relationship. Mm. Um. But the thing with the cycles is they can jump around. So most people think you go from one to the other. And when you get to the end, you're good. It it doesn't work like that.
1: Or it it carries on.
0: It can. You can go through 10 cycles. Sure. You know, some people do one, five, whatever. Mm. It it all depends. Really Mm. depends.
1: Mm. So relationships, obviously, Mm. you are advising men and women um, Mm. about their relationships. But how has. The experiences you've had and what you advise and what you see on a daily basis and the the loss of your friend and your nan affected your ability in your own relationship, not ability, but your success or whatever it is in relationships. How have your relationships been affected by your life, would you say?
0: Which kind of relationships?
1: With partners and friends and family, just in general, because I think relationships are such an important aspect. And I think... And so you have a relationship with yourself, you can't really have a relationship with anybody, right? Which I know you concur, but more often than not, as an example, you know, some of the stuff that I went through did affect my relationships with my partners. I became, you know, I I, I attracted the wrong sort of partners, as an example, all that kind of stuff. So talk to us about that.
0: Um, So, I mean, how I've heard that, the best way that I can answer it is, You know, I've done a lot of work on myself. I'm very Mm. self-aware. I'm very quick to cut people out of my life. And I have zero problem doing that. I'm very much not against society because I think that's the wrong word. I'm not like anti-society, but you know, from a society point of view, everyone's very quick to get into relationships. Everyone mm. wants it now. Everyone's yeah. very quick to yeah. right. And I think that is one of the biggest problems. So, you know, once I left my long-term ex, eight years of single for because mm. I, I, you know, I dated. Of course I dated. But I could tell within the first date whether 100%. this person is going to be worth my time. And my time's precious.
1: Yeah, I've seen on your TikTok you're you're a big proponent of um your next future partner if they've been single for a period of time is better because
0: 100% because for two reasons mm. the first reason is codependency is one of the easiest things to heal from yeah but equally it's one of the easiest things to develop
1: and fall back into
0: Huh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. if if you've gone from so narcissistic relationships, and I'm I'm even going to put toxic relationships into yeah. that. If you ever find yourself in a relationship where you feel like you're dependent on the other person, sure, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That is a massive problem. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of people are unaware of that. So then they're chasing. Oh, I'll just find someone else that will make me feel better.
1: Yeah. It,
0: Yes and no. There's an element of truth to that. Because oh. I'm, I'm very much an advocate of if you feel shit and feel like you're unattractive, go on a dating site because you'll get some likes. <laughs> <laughs> it's one way
1: to solve the problem.
0: Right. Yeah. And it, it will prove to you yeah. that people do find you attractive. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, there's that element to it. But yeah. in terms of this this codependency, the problem is people are so unaware of that. Yeah. They meet someone and they always go for potential.
1: Right. A project
0: more so, what can this person provide me with? Right? Have they see. got a house? Have they got a car? Yeah. Are they earning 50K plus a year? Do you not year? think
1: that's more to interrupt you? Sorry, do you not think that's, without being too sexist, that women would tend to look at those more than men or not? Is, is that unfair? Yes,
0: because, and again, this goes down to a natural instinct. Men are providers. Yeah, right. So there is there is that kind of underneath thing, but also people that focus specifically and solely on that. Yeah, We've got problems. Yeah.
1: But that, that is that is often the case though, isn't it? Is it's like, what do you do? You know, what do you, do you own a house? What car do you drive? But actually, I was going to say what I think they are, but what do you think the better fundamentals are of a, of a robust relationship to be looking for?
0: So the first thing is you've got to know what your values are. Mm-hmm. People have no idea Absolutely. what their values are nowadays. Absolutely. People are focused on, do they like the same music as me? <laughs> do they have the same interests?
1: Dress sense or whatever, yeah.
0: Right. That means... Nothing. That Mm -hmm. is surface level. Mm -hmm. You don't have to find someone that you're gonna do. And again, this is a sign of codependency. I want someone that likes the same music, it's gonna go to the same festivals, Mm. gonna eat the same food as me, Mm. you know, likes the same movies. Mm. We're gonna do everything together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not gonna work, right?
1: Because it well it does work for the first period, and then after a while you just get bored of each other.
0: It it it's just not oh. going to work. It's it's not a dynamic mm. friendship, maybe, mm. but certainly not on an intimate level. Mm. So, in terms of values, it's like, and again, I, I I home this in with a lot of my um, lot of my clients who are driven by faith and religion mm-hmm. because that is a value for them. Yes, religion and faith is a yeah. huge value. So if they meet someone that doesn't have that same value. That relationship is not going to work. Like I value loyalty. Mm. I value kindness. Mm. I value honesty.
2: Mm.
0: If I meet someone and I catch them out on a lie once, Mm. that's enough for me to put my walls up. Is it literally game over? I will test them. There's there's a difference between yeah. a little white lie right. because you're nervous, yeah, yeah, and a full blown lie,
1: yeah, a because you
0: want to appear better, yeah, or, yeah. See now, there's your narcissist. Yeah,
1: yeah. I totally agree with the values point, and I think I think that should be the case in relationships, in business, and everything else. Base 100%. your base your decisions on your values, and as you rightly say, a lot of people don't even know what values are, Or, right. they, or they'll say a few words but don't even know what they mean.
0: Yeah, and something like I coach through is it's. You know, do you, un- first of all, do you understand your own values? Because there are a lot of them. Like I can give yeah. you a list of 50 that I take my clients through and that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, and yeah. I get them to pick 10. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot to choose from. But then it's also, can you recognize yeah. when the other person has the same values? Yeah, of course. Which most don't.
1: Yeah. But when you say it like that, it's all, if someone's got like kindness and empathy and mm-hmm. and and loyalty, Surely that's a lot better than oh they they drive the same similar car as I drive oh you know which one am I going to and I just think when you actually talk it through it's but people don't think like that these days do they?
0: But again you're dealing with someone that isn't in my opinion at a place where they should be dating because they're comparing everything. Mm. Like I love that example because it's like. Mm. Yeah, Chris was great, but you know I didn't like his trainers. That's yeah. all right. I've got another date tomorrow. He'll probably have better shoes on. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And, and
0: that happens. I've, 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 I've been
1: on dates with that, and you know, and, and people, you know, saying yes or no based on different aspects like that. But you, I think I've heard you talk about class of people as well.
0: Yeah, and do you know, <laughs> see, that is often something where people are like, you know, that's really snobby, mm. but. Not in, that, not
1: in that context, Rosie, go on.
0: Yeah, I, I disagree with that because everyone has their own level. It, it's how they portray that. Like someone can have no money in the bank. They can be doing charity, but you wouldn't know that. No. But they are extremely kind. They yes. have a high degree of empathy. Does that make them a low class person? That citizen? makes, for me
1: personally, that makes them a, a much more a higher class person than right. anybody who drives around with a Ferrari and just is really obnoxious and just
0: precisely
1: that's the difference, right? Yeah,
0: but at the end of the day, people are very reactive lately. I mm. think the pandemic has has brought about a lot of fear mm-hmm. in many ways, so people are yes. very reactive nowadays. They're not, they're not assessing. They're less self aware and they're just mm. reacting. Mm. So.
1: Yes. I also think I also think if you're if you force things too much I mean I've been very 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 guilty of this in, up until like 4 years ago like literally I say hello to somebody and ask them if they marry if they want to marry me kind of thing it's like ridiculous but I I've kind of I've, I've been single now for 4 years and it's really really helped me and I've kind of looked back and thought oh I know why I've been in the situation And I think that mm. I think just taking that time that patience can be, I, I, I honestly feel that I'm a bit of a universe spiritual guy. I honestly feel that the right person will come along if you keep doing the basics consistently, keep looking after yourself. And it goes back to the relationship point I made earlier, that until you start respecting yourself, mm. you won't get respect back. Yeah. And I think respect's quite a big thing in a relationship, right?
0: Massively. And, you know, narcissists, Zero respect in relationships. Mm. It's a one way street. Mm. But you're absolutely right in terms of, and I always say to people look, if you're someone that just wants something casual, that's cool, but mm. be honest with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Equally, if you're someone that wants something long term, there is no rush. Mm. Like, be honest with that person, date, get to know each other, yeah. take your time. There is no rush because you're looking for something long term. But I think that society thing in the back of the mind, we want it all now.
1: Also, there's a big difference between in your head where you fantasize—not in a sexual way, but you fantasize about the perfect relationship—and you you've, you look at this woman that you, you've known and you think it's going to be great talking about it. But then when you're actually in that relationship, it's a completely different animal because your life does change. You're not on your own anymore. You're eating with someone else, and it's, I think you've got to phase that in as opposed to going. I've been single for three years now. She's moved in. I think it's it's one of those sometimes. But you've
0: it? just said the problem. Mm. You fantasize. Mm. Pe- people There's this a big is difference. exactly the problem yes if you actually sat back and went okay this is the reality of this person mm. can i live with the reality they literally
1: what's and you you want you want to you want mm. to know that you don't want to, you don't want the social media version of it, that person as an example you yes. you want to get to know them right
0: yeah 100% so I, you know that's where i think for me you know i've learned a lot about that and i don't want to play with people's emotions i don't want mm. my life played with mm. so i'm i'm very People say I'm harsh. I don't think I'm harsh. I'm, I'm actually being very honest Measured, and yeah. very compassionate towards other people. Mm. You know, the ones that are triggered by that, they've got some healing work to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So people could say that you, you're putting your guard up, but it's not. You're actually, you're actually being, you're actually protecting the other person and yourself. And I think also when you yeah. know, though, I think I get the the feeling from you though, when it's right and you know, you will, you wouldn't hold back. You would, you would sort of. Allow that person to be a bit closer to you as well, because you go, ultimately, you, at some point, you, no matter what you say and do, you it's always a, you've got to take a risk and go with it at some point.
0: Yeah, and wh- whatever. I'm I'm a very open person, very mm. open with anything, um, and I'm always happy to let people in. But it, like I said to, you, if I'm on a date with someone and I yeah. think they're being deceitful, I think they're like a classic red flag for me is when someone starts giving me a sales pitch. And what they bring to the table, right? And right. I feel like I'm sitting at a job interview, and they're yeah. telling me about the house they've got, the car yeah. they drive, and how much they earn, and they're, they're the top salesperson that month. That's I'm yeah. like, I'm good. Yeah. One drink, I'm off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and I am that quick because yeah, yeah. I don't want to entertain someone like that. Mm. They're not being authentic. They're, they're using that as a cover up for who they truly are. Mm,
1: I can't stand small talk. I, I, I like to have meaningful conversations, but that that's mm. that, that's just me. So in terms of um. I was gonna ask you what your darkest moment, but I think you've already answered that or mm-hmm. your friend's death. But talk to us about um your own mental health journey, if you like, and any kind of times when you've been really anxious and you know you've had some difficulties with your mental health, if if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, so I was deeply depressed as a child, very depressed all the way through my childhood. I was depressed probably until I was around around 18, I would say. And then, of course, when I, when I really started to get into work and training horses, then I developed the um, stress addiction, yeah. so then I became constantly anxious, um, and I was on beta blockers for some time oh, right. because it, yeah. it was that, that extreme, but ironically, and that's what I could never understand until I learned more about it, was mm. the time when my heart would feel like it's about to fall out my chest is when I'd be sitting still. When I was doing stuff... I was uh, fine. Yeah. So that, that was when I used to get anxiety and it was always when I went to bed, I used to suffer terrible. I'd lay in bed and I'd feel like I'm about to have a heart attack because mm. I was so anxious about going to bed.
1: Wow. So but your it, way of dealing with it was just to be on the go.
0: Yeah. That's right. how, that's how I functioned for a very long time. Mm. Um. So there was that, but I, ever since then I, and honestly I do believe it was until between twenty twenty six 26 and 28 was when I started to shift everything. I certainly wasn't the depression stopped probably 21. yeah, um, but yeah, and like now, of course, I had that sadness when I lost you know my friends. yeah, that's to be expected, but like I said to you, for yeah, I guess seven years or so, i' I've, I've been very balanced.
2: Mm.
1: I mean you, you, you feel it feels like you're very, very resilient. Um, when you're advising your clients,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, does it not give you sort of flashbacks as to what happened to no. you or no?
0: No, because I've, I've definitely dealt with that. And it
1: was that the therapy that, that you conquered it or kind of like, how have you dealt with it specifically? So I, I
0: developed a method. Go on. I created a method on, on how to deal with it. And it was, it's a combination of various things. Right. I knew therapy for me at that time didn't work. Yes. I knew pills, they don't work. Hmm. And like I said, I met some amazing people. When I actually started to branch out and trust people and you yeah. know, open up to people, that's when my life really changed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I developed a method which I now teach my clients, which helps them get past this. But with anything, mm-hmm. you've got to be consistent. It's mm-hmm. not a magic pill.
1: So specifically then, you said it at the start, how do you wrap up exactly what you do and what do you actually offer your clients?
0: So it's trauma-focused rehab. So we look specifically or I look specifically for the traumas and I rewire it. Mm. So I identify it and I rewire it because you have to break the bond first. This is where people get confused. Mm -hmm. You have to break it and then you have to replace it.
1: I'm going to interrupt you. Break the bond. I don't think many people understand that they do have a bond with that person. They think they don't in their heads, but they actually do. Right?
0: Yeah, it's a trauma bond. Right. It's a, tra- and again, it goes back to like mm. that childhood thing of mm. we're always seeking connection.
1: Mm. So yeah. when you've
0: had a disconnect that as a child,
1: familiarity, even though it's it's mm. it's hurt, it's pain, it's anger, the person makes you feel bad. Because it's familiar to you, you'll you, go to that feeling yeah. and you'll it's, pick a relationship yeah. that gives you that feeling.
0: Uh, yeah, it's it's that un, unlying level of, mm. I feel safe here.
1: And it's breaking that bond is what you mean, right? Not, not necessarily with the yes. person. What it is, is both the person, but also the feeling.
0: Yes, because otherwise you're going to repeat the same pattern.
1: Mm. Mm. And, and, and does that involve you asking lots of questions and encouraging the other person to sort of really talk about their feelings or...
0: Yeah. And so I do, it's pattern disruption. So I have to also recognize the patterns. Sure. sure. So it it requires that person to talk a lot. I do often interrupt them a lot because what people tend to do, certainly Mm. people that have been in those situations, is they make a lot of excuses. Right. Okay. The excuse is the problem. The excuse is keeping that bond, keeping that trauma very much alive. It's a bit
1: like, oh, but the person did this to me, but actually it was was because I was this. There's always like additional words that try to justify it, right? There you go. Yeah, yeah.
0: But of course, when you're talking about someone that's healthy and an empath, Mm -hmm. we understand Mm -hmm. we have bad days. We Mm -hmm. understand someone's upset us. So we're always looking for the good in people. Mm -hmm. We don't want to walk around thinking everyone's bad. No. So... Yeah, that's a lot of the problem and that's why I don't agree with talking therapy mm-hmm. because all they're doing is giving excuses and going over yeah. what's happened. It's not actually achieving anything. All it's doing is saying, yeah, you're right.
1: Do you know what? Living with a narcissist, it's, it's, it's um, the moment you feel that everything is okay is the very moment it's not. That's how I'd, have, I'd have sum it up.
0: And I, and I agree and they, they can pick up on that. Yeah. again they thrive off of chaos they thrive yeah. off of your your instability they thrive off of that so like you said the moment you feel like mm. this is good i can breathe a bit
2: mm.
0: no way because that's that's not that's that is a problem for them
1: what's G- give us one thing that someone might have missed or people misunderstand about you
0: about me mm. possibly that i am cold Right. I think okay. I've heard that before. People that know me, they're like, "Oh no, she's incredibly warm. She's incredibly kind." But I think when people first meet me, I... <laughs> and again, it's from my profession, I have a very poker face. Right. And and it's and I I can't help myself if someone starts to tell me a story about something, like that, that face comes in mm-hmm. and I'm blank, and they're like, "I just can't read you," but I'm I'm
1: you are reading them.
0: I'm t- I'm totally analyzing yeah. everything, but it's. I can't help myself. So then I come across as like cut off because I can't, I can't show emotions in my sessions. I can't do that. No,
1: no, of course.
0: I've got to hold space for that person. So of course, if anyone starts to talk to me about something, I go into that mode and people are like, are you going to give me anything here? Mm. How do
1: how, how do you, how do you. I'm I'm one for well-being and I've, I've been burnt out two or three times in my life, probably more. And I talk about it and I coach people how um, not to get burnt out. But sometimes even myself, I succumb to overworking and my work is quite uh, demanding. Your work is extremely demanding emotionally, mm. I would say. How do you regulate that and keep yourself in check and set boundaries well? Because it is it, mm. draining. It must be.
0: It is hard it's very, and it is very draining. So I, I'm very strict on like my mornings are for me. Right. So morning times is my time. Workout, yoga, meditation, that's my time.
1: Strictly, no one's allowed in, right?
0: Yeah. Yes. I mean, I say that on a Wednesday, I've got some Australian clients, so they need the morning slots. Right. That's yeah. cool. I'll accommodate them, yeah. but then I tend to have the afternoon off. Mm-hmm. So I'm very tight on that. Um, I also <laughs> like in the evenings when I'm finished, I like to be quiet. Yeah, I need like quiet, no. So talking. a complete contrast
1: to what you were like years ago, where you couldn't handle that quietness. Yeah, it's yeah. That must be nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting, but yeah. it's you've got to be. I think with anything, you, to have self care, you've got to be strict and you've got to be honest with what you need mm. in a way that works for you. Because if you're not functioning, you're not going to be functioning for anyone else.
1: Yeah. Going back to the narcissist, the the victim or the survivor thing, mm. I think I've heard you say something about that, and I think there's, yeah. I want you to talk to us about that because I think there's there's two elements to it. Yeah. Um, it's not just getting out of the relationship; it's the aftermath of that, isn't isn't there? Yeah. And I I've heard you talk about victim and survivor. Do you want to talk about that a bit more?
0: Yeah. So when people come out of those kinds of relationships, those toxic dynamics, they go one of two ways. They either stay in victim mode or they go into survival mode. Yeah, Victim mode is the justification. Well, I deserve that. If only I'd have cooked more meals. If only I'd have been better with the housework. If only I'd have had more sex. Uh, all of these things, it's actually me. It's me. I need to change. It's my problem. If only I'd done more. It's that constant justification, Mm. that constant talking about it, that constant reliving of it. Mm -hmm. You're going to stay in that same place. That makes you a victim because that narcissist has destroyed you. It's very Mm. evident. Yeah. And you're not coming back from that. The other is the survivor. So is the survivor and the victim going to feel the same emotionally? Yes. They've Mm -hmm. both been damaged. Yeah. But the difference is the survivor chooses that I'm not going to stay. Yeah. With how they left me,
2: yeah,
0: I'm gonna make a difference. So they start to actually make the effort. They stop justifying. And again, like I said to you, you've got mm. to be consistent with this. Yes,
1: but it takes a lot of courage to actually believe that because what the narcissist does, it, as you know, it, it make you, they make you feel like it's always going to be your fault no matter what, right?
0: Yeah, and the the problem you've got, and again, like I want people to understand this, is when you're dealing with someone that's opening up to you, that's left a relationship and starts opening up about something that an experience yeah. has happened, Yeah. the worst thing you can do mm-hmm. is dismiss it or say, well, do you think maybe you could have done something different yeah. so it didn't turn out like that? Because yeah. actually that person's gaslighting you. Sure. They don't sure. realize they're doing that. And the problem is most people shy away from those conversations because they don't know how to deal with it.
1: Talk about gaslighting because one of the narcissists I I was in a relationship with she always always used to say that I was gaslighting, but and I looked it up and it was clearly that the narcissist was gaslighting me. And that's obviously an age-old trick that narcissists do. But for those who don't know what gaslighting is, Mm
0: -hmm. what is it? So it's distorting of your reality and giving you a new one. So
1: pretty intense stuff, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So for instance, if you're being gaslit, so let's say the narcissist is saying to you, you know, the sky's red. The Mm. sky is red and they keep on and on. The only way you can handle that is say, okay, that's your belief. Mm. I hope you enjoy that. Don't get into a discussion about it. Don't get heated about it because it doesn't matter. They don't care. Yeah. And if you react to them, that's what they're looking for.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. So that's where gaslighting is. So of course then when you've got someone a survivor that's telling a friend or a family member about their experience and the family member says are you sure that's what happened
1: See, this is the point I want to get to you. It's this—the this, this, this subtle coercive control. When you're on the other end of it, when you try to explain to another person, a you feel like it's not actually real, mm-hmm. and it's very hard to actually prove some of the things that happens to you, isn't it? And that's that's the art of what narcissism does. They're very skilled at kind of—it's so outlandish that when you explain, it, it's like, mate, you're you right today.
0: Yeah, you know? and you've got to remember, narcissists in person some of the most amazing people you've oh ever met. Oh, God. They're charming. Yeah, they're charismatic. Course, absolutely. So why are people going to believe you that mm. you're the battered person at home? Yeah. It, it doesn't add up. Yeah. So yeah. the one thing I will say, and this is what I tell people, is you don't feel like you need to talk to friends and family about your experiences because – there's a possibility they're going to invalidate you, not intentionally, Yeah. but people don't know how to no, deal with that situation no, exactly. and, right. and that's what you've got to understand. That
1: makes sense. So so would you advise going to someone like yourself or someone who's got...
0: 100% right. you've got to talk to yeah. someone that's...
1: Otherwise it makes it worse, right? If, if you go to your, a family member, they're like, oh, whatever, mate. It's like, oh God, and you start to believe that as well.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So it, it reaffirms that you're a victim, you stay in that victim mm-hmm. mentality and you no longer push forward. And like as a survivor, it's, it's making decisions to remove certain people from your life, mm. which people you know people talk about no contact. There's mm. a, there's a big deal on how to do that properly, mm. and part of it is removing family members from your toxic ex. And,
1: and no means no as well. Right. Yeah, and having right. the courage. It, and it doesn't matter if, if if they're your best friend, even your mother, your father, mm. whatever. If they're toxic, or even if they're narcissists. I mean, I've put, I think I post about this on LinkedIn. So you can't do that to your family members. Yes, you bloody can. Thanks, of course, yeah. if you're serious about your life, there's no prisoners. Take no prisoners. Right? And,
0: you know, like my experience last year of losing my loved ones, why am I going to keep someone in my life mm. that doesn't value and respect me? Yeah. Why am I going to do that? I might be dead tomorrow.
1: Absolutely. So we're coming to, towards the end, just a, a couple of last questions. It's mm-hmm. been fascinating so far, as I thought it would be. Give us, Your biggest mistake or your poorest decision?
0: Wow, I don't think I've got one. That's good. Yeah, I I I don't have any regrets. I don't believe in mistakes Mm -hmm. because if you learn from it, it's not a mistake. Yeah, I I genuinely believe that. And there's
1: no sort of bad call that you've kind of you can that springs to mind or anything like that.
0: If anything, in my younger years, was letting people lie to me. And taking them in as friends. Yeah, yeah. Actually, my my biggest mistake is forgiving people that should never have been forgived.
1: Right, okay.
0: And not forgiving myself. That's possibly it. But I've learned from that and it doesn't happen again. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: I believe you. <laughs> so if you were 18 again, yeah. would you do anything differently? And if so, what?
0: No, I wouldn't change any of my life.
1: Mm-hmm. What would you advise your 18-year-old year old self now?
0: honestly there I I don't believe in any of that
1: okay good I like that mm.
0: answer
1: you can't change it anyway so what's the point right
0: yeah and you know I'm in a very good position right now with the people that I help because mm. what I experienced yeah and you know the knowledge and the background of it 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 just makes such a difference
1: so As we come to the end, um, what do you like to leave the audience with in terms of the stuff that you do? Any kind of lasting advice or tips or anything really?
0: Yeah, if you're in a relationship with someone that doesn't treat you right, that makes you feel less than, that is treating you in a way that you think is bad, you don't have to ask anyone else permission. You don't have to check in with anyone else to see if it is a bad relationship, whether they're narcissists or not get out of that relationship. If you can't communicate and get a resolve, that relationship is not worth saving. Save yourself.
1: Lovely. Absolutely amazing to have you on the show. Where can people find you?
0: You can find me on LinkedIn, TikTok and Instagram.
1: Rebecca, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thank you, Chris.